What's up, everybody? And welcome to The School District, a podcast hosted by me, Adam Welcome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for telling your friends and your colleagues and sharing episodes. I was recently in Chicago at a principal conference, walking down the street with some other principals. Another group of principals walked by us, came up on us, and someone uh, someone mentioned that uh, they had been listening to the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for the support. My guest today is a brand new superintendent, has been on the job less than a month, but he is known. He is known all over the world for his YouTube videos. I put out a tweet asking for superintendents that I wanted to interview on the podcast. I had almost 350 responses, which I think is actually super fun and super awesome that people are recommending their superintendents to be on the podcast. So Quentin Lee was recommended. I sent a DM to him on Twitter right away. We were already following each other and we recorded the podcast. The energy, the mojo, you can't see Quentin, but you can feel his smile radiating through your speakers. I hope you enjoy. Dr. Quentin Lee, super excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here and just to share the space and opportunity with you. Man, no doubt. So this podcast, the The School District, I had reached out. I just put a tweet on Twitter, super basic tweet. I was like, hey, I'm looking to interview a superintendent on my podcast. Who do you recommend? And oh my gosh, we were talking before the show, a couple couple things. I got some really great people recommending me, you being one of them. But also I was just feeling the love for superintendents. So many people recommending, you got to interview this leader. Oh, this person's awesome. And really a vast array from all over the country, men, women, you know, just all different backgrounds. I, I was feeling good about education that people are recommending their, their superintendent. So uh, I DM'd you like right away. We were already following each other. And you said, yes, let's do it like super quick, which I love. And then, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we got this going. So Quentin, for those that don't know who you are, tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do, where you are. Just kind of give us the, give us the lowdown. All right. Hey, hey, well, once again, thank you for allowing me just to be on the show. I'm super excited, but I'm Dr. Quentin Lee. Um, I am a new superintendent in Talladega City Schools, which is in Talladega, Alabama. Really excited. Dega Nation, we're on the rise. Uh, Just to really uh, continue to pour back some school pride and then rebuild our schools to best meet the needs of kids. But I love kids first. I've been in education about 16 years. I was one of those. I started off as a band director. So from band director to superintendent, it's been an absolutely uh, a wonderful journey, and I'm glad to be on that journey. Uh, I've always done things to connect with students and with the communities and with the teachers and parents. But um, I guess the most notable thing is that last year during COVID, uh, I went viral three times <laughs> for um, some videos. Uh, one video, I was just sitting at a keyboard playing and screaming, and I didn't realize it. I just thought it was funny, but it ended up going on E Entertainment News. So um, getting a, a <laughs> notification like, hey, you're just on E Entertainment was awesome. And then the next week after that, we launched or dropped the Can't Touch This video uh, featuring MC Hammers Can't Touch This about some of the COVID precautions, and it went 
worldwide extremely quick. I was able to meet a lot of different people. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but but it was able to put me on an international platform. Uh, but yet and still, I still had the mission of empowering the students that I served, those teachers, the community, and uh, and putting them on the map. So just really a great opportunity to help become a, transform, a transformational leader, I guess you can say, in the communities that I serve. And just my heart is always going to be all about the kids. As a kid, that song, You Can't Touch This, was one of my favorite jams. Quentin, I had the yellow Walkman, and I had the MC Hammer tape. If you're like under 25, you have no idea what I'm talking no about right now. No idea. no idea. And I would just play that song. And I'm from the Bay Area in California. He's from Oakland, so he's a local guy. Um, yeah. So you sent me, you're like, Hey, just so you know, like I made this video and then I clicked on it in our Twitter DMS. I'm like, I saw that video. I forgot. I just totally, you know, there's so many people. Um, so I was like, Oh man, I got the, I got the man here, uh, <laughs> on the podcast. So band director, yes, like sir. what, I mean, if you, I've never been a band director. I played the violin for 15 years as a kid. I'm going to guess that there's a lot of associations with directing, managing, leading, organizing a band. And I know that you're a brand new superintendent. You got 22 days on the job, but are you, are you projecting similarities? Are you, I mean, invigorating, organizing, knowing who to bring in and put back and all those things from a band director standpoint? Absolutely. Um, my, my association with band is that it saved my life. Literally and figuratively. Um, growing up, I wasn't good in athletics, but I could play an instrument. I was very musically inclined. I loved to sing. And so the only way I was able to get to school is from a band scholarship. So I knew that a band could do that for me, it could do it for many other people. So that's why I went into music to try to help provide those opportunities. But what I received was organizational skills to really help bring out the best in people. Uh, my first position was at a small 1A school, and, and that's like a school that only had about 200 kids grade seven through 12 in the middle of the country, a rural Alabama. And we had 21 kids in the band program. Uh, after my first semester there, I went from 21 to 65. Um, and that let me know that there's something special about empowering others to really achieve. So I took all that experience into assistant principalship, into principalship, and now ultimately uh, with the superintendency. But it all goes back to being able to connect with people and allowing them that opportunity to be creative. And I think that's a superpower, I guess you could say, of all educators, but especially band directors, being able to organize and delegate efficiently to help move school systems and, and districts forward. So I'm really excited about being the conductor of this great symphony that we're going to have with Talladega City Schools. I picture you, uh, the movie Drumline is, is my, it's one of my favorite movies. And I just picture you up on that, up on that ladder and you're just organizing everybody and you're just like the, just the energy. And then after obviously, you know, seeing, seeing your can't touch this video for COVID. I mean, that's just like a match right there. So Talladega city schools, um, you just took over as, as a new superintendent. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Where, where is your head? Quentin, what what are you thinking about? I know this is a moment in our lives in education that is unique, obviously coming out of still in the pandemic with all these variants and stuff. I mean, right, we're we're not out of the clear yet, unfortunately, but where where's your head just from working with your uh, with your school board, working with your principals and your stakeholders and your community? Um, I mean, with so many things going on um in our country 
over the last 18 months, two years from the, from the murder of George Floyd. I mean, there's so many things still, um, you know, conversations that our country should have been having that we are now. There's a lot going on. It is. It is. Quentin, where's your head? What are you thinking about? Students first. Mm-hmm. We've got to love our students and we've got to support them. And we're not here to shape them into what we think they should be. We're here to empower them to make a decision that's going to ultimately change the trajectory of their life. And all that can be through the lens of education. I think if our country would allow more educators to help lead, uh, we would see a lot of the issues that we're having to uh, disappear because it seems like if you look at it, a lot of things that are going on now um, with culture, it revolts back to the educational piece. So educators, we if we're not in education and loving all kids, regardless of where they come from, what they look like, then we need to get out. Let me just go and throw that out there. But if we were able to sit down under the lens of, of, of inclusion, under the lens of just doing what's right and, and loving people, I think we could solve a lot of our issues. But but my, my goal is to protect the mind space of our students. I'm in a situation where um, there's been some, some crime that's been invading our city. And we're not gonna sit back and just allow that to keep happening. We're going to empower our students. We're gonna empower them have opportunities to grow, opportunities to succeed, any scholarship opportunity, we should be putting that out there for them, uh, empowering our teachers to create magic in their classroom. Um, kids aren't coming to school um, to be bored. They're coming to school because number one, they're, they're mandated to by the government, but number two, they get engaged because it's something that interests them. So making sure that we're doing that for our kids, we should, they should want to come to school based upon the lessons they're getting. And on top of that, think about it as educators, we're not paying back student loans to go to work every day and be miserable. <laughs> like we've got to make sure that we are making our buildings and our classrooms uh, exciting that magic, because the realization is, is that Kids only remember teachers for one of two things, either being really good or being really bad. Mm-hmm. But you don't remember the teachers you had that were just normal, that didn't go above. You don't remember them. Um, so we've got to make sure that we're being remembered for being awesome, over the top, engaging, uh, making those connections so that they continue to have that connection with you past that grade level, past graduation, on into life. Uh, one success story I have is that my first drum major um, was in my wedding. Uh, I... I we became really close that when he was my drum major, I helped him get into college. I became his mentor. And um, when I got married, I asked him to be in my wedding. And then a few years later, when he got married, he asked me to be in his wedding. So here it is, I'm this big old joker <laughs> at these young people's wedding, but it was in a joy. And our families are forever connected. Our kids are friends. Like, And that's the power of really establishing positive relationships because you can do life with people. Like we shouldn't just wanna teach kids for just that 60 minutes or 90 minutes that we have, and we should want to teach them so that they listen to the lessons that we give them for the rest of their life. I'm going to say it right now. I feel like someday they are going to make a movie about Dr. Quentin Lee. Cause no man. Cause I'm mean, these stories. I'm just like, I'm enthralled by all the different things and those relationships and what you said. I mean, it was like, you had no hesitation students first. And I love what you said right after that. I've been saying this for years we we get to be educators and if you don't like kids please find something else to do i mean and i and, I, and that's a hard thing to say there's a teacher sh- shortage i mean people right. are, can't find jobs i mean i get it we need people but we need the right people and it's got to be priority first in this country for students first because kids deserve it mm-hmm. uh, and 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 everything else so as you're as you're settling into the job you know, you're, you're probably, you know, you're meeting with your assistant superintendents and directors and, you know, school hasn't started yet. As you think about the goals of Talladega, 
right. city schools. And you think about obviously your school board's like, all right, Quentin, we want, you know, you know, you want you to do this. And then, you know, the former administration, there were things that were coming over and then you got ideas. How many goals do you think a school district can handle? I've worked with some school districts that have 21 strategic goals, which right. just blows my mind because that's like, I have two kids. That's like them playing 21 sports or activities all at once. They're in right. band, soccer, swimming, water polo, ski. I mean, 15 other things. You just can't sustain it. So I, I know there's not a perfect answer, but what do you think? Like, what's the sweet spot? Like, okay, we can, we can focus on these three, five, what is seven? What, what do you think? Well, I think you have to reframe the thinking around that question. You can still have 21 things that you'd like to accomplish, but it needs to be under a category. So for example, if we're going to talk about students, then there's five or six goals that you can have that are related to students, um, but your main goal is students. So that way you can help delegate a lot of the leadership. Um, I don't believe in going so far wide that you don't really go deep. And, uh, and that's something that shared leadership. I just remember as a band director, I grew because I was given an opportunity to grow. Uh, perfect example, we're doing a back to school bash. And I just sent out a message to my principals. Hey, any teachers that want to help, let me know. I have 20 teachers that have joined to help. And those 20 teachers are taking over all the committees. So no one is doing like, no one has to do the whole entire thing. And the committee that I signed up for was groundskeeping. I'm going to walk around that event and pick up trash to make sure that our facility looks good. Um, and I'm going to get some of my athletes to help me. But I mean, as far as like program manager, hosting the bands that are coming, entertainment, the vendors, like I gave them the vision, they took it and they ran with it. And it's a collaborative effort. So at the end of the day, it's not a pat on my back. It's a pat on our back as a district. So getting back to the goal question, I think whatever your capacity is as a district is what your goal should be. But it's always got to associate around students. Um, we can't have goals that are just and, and improving facilities if we're not gonna address the culture. So culture is definitely one thing that we need to address. Culture, our students and academics. And I believe that if we address those three areas, it will hit many more. So at the end of the year, we're gonna, oh, we did way more than 21 goals, but it's based upon making sure that we're hitting those key elements and breaking it down. And just that shared leadership, like even though I'm the superintendent, I work alongside some amazing people um, 22 days into the job and I've met some awesome teachers. Uh, I've met some awesome student leaders. I've met awesome personnel in my central office, like my assistant and my secretaries, they take care of me. And that's what you have to do. I don't believe that programs move schools. I believe relationships move schools. And, and that's the goal to establish those positive relationships head on so that kids know that you care about them because we can do all this stuff in our classrooms. We can have all these standards. We can benchmark until we're blue in the face. But if that kid doesn't know that you care about them as a person, they won't receive anything that you put out there as an educator. So let's move beyond just because I'm on your, you're on my schedule that you listen to what I say. Let's move to the relationship piece that kids are listening to educators because they know that they care and have their best interest at heart. And that you can see that in school pride. You can see that in data. You can see that in attendance. Um, even with COVID-19 at my previous school, we were averaging a 98% attendance rate. <laughs> and so, and that's at a high school. So the kids were coming to school. Of course, they're mandated to come to school, but they were coming to school because they enjoyed it. And that's what we've got to, we've got to get our kids and teachers enjoying coming to work every day, because it's not that we have to, it's that we get the opportunity to. 
Yeah, we get to. I interviewed the um, superintendent of the year from Oklahoma just a couple of days ago. That episode will be coming out soon. And I said, what is the most important thing? And she said, relationships. I mean, which is exactly what you're getting to. And I love how you reframed my question. And you already, my next question, you already kind of hit on, but about bringing in principals and bringing in teachers and bringing in students. I love that you dropped the students because they can do so much. And I want to know how... How do you, how are you going to, as a superintendent, empower your principals and other team members? I mean, you already talked about it with this back to school bash, but um, how does that continue um, as, you, as you move along in your superintendentship? All right, so we've established mentors. So every central office personnel has a mentor principal that they talk to. And I told them, um, as a superintendent, I don't want to know about your conversations unless it's harming kids. Like I want there to be an opportunity for them to vent. If I get on the nerves, that's fine. They can vent to you about it. But that's just someone that you can talk to and bounce ideas off of. If you need to be out the building, then there's a partnership and you're not in this thing alone. Um, every principal I've actually, before I even got started, I met with them. We had data chats. We walked through buildings. We, I heard their dreams, their visions, what frustrates them at night. And my goal was to reframe the relationship that I have with them based upon their needs. Uh, I'm only as good as those that are working alongside me. So I need, I need my principals to be successful because they make me ultimately continue to be successful. Um, as far as with our student piece, just making sure that we're giving them every opportunity to shine. Um, for our system institute this year, I'm actually using my student leadership team to run it. Um, they're going to be engaging with teachers. Um, we're actually um, <laughs> filming next week a video that we're going to show it in service that features our students. Um, we have to realize that we're there for kids. So they can't be absent from when we're planning. We've got to make sure that we have their needs in. And it's just opportunities for constant reflection. As a new superintendent, I don't know everything. I don't, and I'm okay with saying, hey, I need a little bit of assistance or what do you think and asking and keeping that open door. Um, I've established some panels where we'll do interviews as a panel and I hear wisdom because I'm new coming into this district and there's people that have been there their entire career and they know the history, they know the genetic makeup. And so it would be unwise for me to just to go in and change everything when there's a lot of things that are working and I just need to build upon that legacy to make it better. And that, that honors their leadership, their commitment, and their, their wisdom that they have to provide for the district because they love it. So that's just the main thing. It's just really the relational piece. And you can't uh, expect things if you're not willing to inspect them. So have those checkpoints where you check in and see, hey, how's this going? And accountability. That's one thing I think that as culture has, has gotten, gotten us away from being accountable, but there are some times that we need to be held accountable and we need to be redirected. We need to be reminded of the, the goals, the missions. And if we're not meeting our expectations, we need to have a, adjustments because uh, if a teacher is not doing X, Y, and Z, then that means the kids are not getting X, Y, and Z. And that's not fair for the kids because they come to school to learn. So just really the accountability piece from not that I get you, gotcha, but from a standpoint of, I wanna help you grow. And I think that's gonna help sustain um, the shared leadership and definitely provide those opportunities. Yeah, that growth opportunity, that area for growth. I mean, to me, that's that's where it all is. I was going to ask you about mentors next, and you already hit on it. I've, I've seen it for years. Districts hire a new principal, and then they go, all right, here's the keys, and then you go. And there just there isn't that level of support that I know even me as a brand new principal, when I was a brand new principal 10 years ago, I had mentors that I had built kind of in other areas, but talk about the mentor program that you've developed in Talladega, where someone from, from Central is connected and they're just given time and just for every other superintendent that's listening, 
why those supports need to be in place? And also what kind of mentorship are, is your, is your board or are you setting up for yourself too? Because I've also seen a lot of superintendents do that for their people, but then they forget about themselves. Well, I, let me just say that I'm very blessed and very fortunate to be a member of the Alabama Superintendents Academy. I'm also blessed to be a part of the School Superintendents Association with Alabama. And um, as far as my mentorship, I actually just met with my mentor and the executive coach yesterday. Um, they set up a visit and um, it's a partnership. We have four mandated meetings throughout the year, but we check in. Um, he's right up the road for me about an hour and a half away. So it's just far enough to be out the woodwork but it was an opportunity to sit down within confidentiality and just discuss things and have someone that can bounce ideas off of. And I needed that space. Uh, he's a seasoned uh, superintendent. And I know that he is very familiar. I asked him a question, he had the answer. And I'm sitting here thinking, I've been looking online all day for this answer. So uh, that's something that, that I pour into. Uh, not only that, I have about eight superintendents that I know in the state that have agreed to help mentor me. So I can call them and, uh, because they, they, you want to see people be successful. That's the, the number one thing. You want to see people be successful. But um, from the former district I was in, this was a model they had. And I really appreciate it as a building principle, just being able to have someone to call. Um, the central office personnel at any district should be leaders, meaning that they understand what it takes to be a leader. Uh, most times they're from the principal world, they get elevated. So they already have a lot of experience with school leadership. Um, but what we also did is we gave some of our support areas, such as our CMP and our, our transportation, they're actually mentoring principals as well, because it's more so about the relationship piece. Uh, our transportation director can offer organizational skills and making sure the mechanics of how that, that runs to a principal, then they may not be able to give them instructional practices, but that principal is an instructional leader just may need a shoulder to cry on at that moment, or just a, a way to reframe their thinking around a procedure they may have on campus. But it's very, uh, very beneficial. And to have those conversations, like we can all say, hey, we have mentors, we have mentors. But if they're not having conversations and there's just a, a forced thing, then you don't have mentors, you have another obligation. So really empowering it to be a relationship that goes beyond. And um, I just think about the mentors that I've had as a principal, like I still talk to them because I know that they were a great, um, great deal of wisdom. And we can't enforce mentors in schools with, because we always talk about mentorship. It's a huge buzzword. And I did a, a session um, with a, an actual national mentoring conversation uh, organization, but it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. And we've got to have buy-in, not because we have to, but because we want to. And our kids can tell, they can tell fake. Mm -hmm. Adults, we can tell fake. Mm -hmm. um, and just going back, kind of circling back in my mind, we were talking about like our buildings and our classrooms being somewhere that we want to go and we get this opportunity. As adults, we wouldn't pay to go to a restaurant that provided us horrible service. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't go to a restaurant that had a bad health rating. So why should our kids have to be forced to go to this just because we're getting a job? Like, no, let's work to change. Let's work to improve and make it an experience for our kids. Yeah. Yes. I mean, just yes, yes, yes. I could even like scrub that section and just make that a separate podcast episode with the need to support principals and mentors, have a mentor, be a mentor. I love what you said that your, your mentor is up the road. So they're kind of out of the woodworks. I think that is so important. It's important to have people in your organization that you can call and reach out to, but it's, I think more important to have somebody that's outside that doesn't know all the drama and the politics and the ins and outs. They can give you a different level of, of advice. I want to ask you, Quentin, about sustainable leadership. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
the attainable has to be sustainable. Right. How do we achieve that? We can't be working all the time. Mm-hmm. That, that, that can't be the expectation. I've seen school leaders burned out, stressed out, leaving the profession, having their job cost them their marriage. And that's just not sustainable. Right. How do we as school leaders, how do school leaders sustain the work without working all the time? And I know we've talked about uh, strategic goals and empowering people, but like you, a superintendent or a principal, what are some things that, that you do or that, you, that you're going to do uh, moving forward? I would say the number one thing is set boundaries. Set some boundaries. Uh, set boundaries for your, your self-care, your self-health, your mental awareness. Like, um, our positions and our leadership, of course, they're key. They're very important, but so are our, are our families. Make sure that we set that time aside for them. Um, in our coaching session, my, my executive coach said, you know, no superintendent has ever left work one day and said, yeah, I finished everything for the day. It just doesn't happen that way. So give yourself grace. We, we give our students grace. We give our teachers grace and superintendents. Like give yourself grace to, to have that opportunity to complete things. Of course, meeting your deadlines, but just know that there's always tomorrow, um, prayerfully that we'll get tomorrow. Um, but just really setting boundaries, uh, guard what you allow in and guard what you spend your time doing. Because what happens is, is the more you pour in, that's what's going to come out. So making sure that you're taking time to help develop yourself. But as far as sustainable leadership, it's got to be shared leadership. Um, The number one predictor if a leadership is going to be sustained is what happens after that leader leaves. So we've got to make sure that people can carry the vision. And I'm real big on vision and mission. Like If your vision statement says this, that's what it should be. My previous school, our vision and mission was to, to create a nationally recognized school that provides opportunities. Like That was part of what we did. Well, when we received national recognition from uh, character.org with receiving a school, a state school of character, and then we got the attention from the video, like we were featured on CNN and, and Today Show, like it, was, it went wild. Hey guys, we've achieved this. It's time to go back to the drawing board and create a new vision. Otherwise we're operating on something that's old and it doesn't apply to what we have. And they were like, you know what? We never thought about it like that. And so we sat as, as a teacher leadership team well, actually the entire faculty, and we wrote, rewrote our vision and our mission, and it applied to what we wanted to do, and it was a collective effort, so everyone's working toward that, that same common goal, so I just, I, you've got to make sure that you're sharing leadership uh, as a superintendent, as a building principal, as a teacher, share leadership inside your classroom with the students that, that are in there, like have someone that, um, give them roles, let someone be line leader, let someone be responsible for passing out things, you start building leadership capacity as early as in kindergarten, so that they're used to being a leader, and that becomes the expectation. We can't expect our students when they leave us in high school to be a leader or think creatively or have opportunities. If we don't give them the opportunity to do that when they are with us, we have right. this expectation, but then we keep them in rows and give them worksheets and tell them what to do and when to do it. Uh, I love what you said, guard what you allow in. Mm-hmm. I know personally, I've gotten much better about saying no, or if I say yes to something and then I realize I can't do that, then I go, you know what? Things have changed. I just can't do that right now. I've made a promise to my family to not take on any more things, or then I'm trying to, I'm trying to do too many things. So uh, Quentin, if, if the president called you and he said, Dr. Lee, I want you to come to Washington and I want you to be the secretary of education for this country. What would be your top three priorities for our public schools? All right. So number one, that is a goal. <laughs> that is definitely a goal of mine. I like it. I like it. The top three priorities would definitely be, of course, beyond safety, beyond just um, 
just empowering teachers or whatever, I think my number three goals would be first to build positive relationships amongst all staffs. Like that would be, I think we need to include character education just as well as we include standards-based education. Um, because with character education, you're building them for life. Um, you can ask me for the Pythagorean theorem and I may stumble, <laughs> but I know how to treat others kind. <laughs> and I know all of the character education things that I received in school and what we're also giving out. So character education would be something I would definitely look into. Well, you can Google the Pythagorean theorem, but you can't Google how to be like a nice human being. You got it right. or you don't. I mean, right. So yeah, I love that. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So that's number one, character education. Number two, um, I would really look at the achievement gap for what it is. Um, we look at the achievement gap and sometimes you can get racially caught up into a, it being a racial thing or about poverty, but it is what it is. We have students that are not performing as some of the counterparts. If you look at it, they're in nicer facilities, they have more resources. So I know we have title programs that are, that are in to help, um, I guess, close the gap. But if you're just giving a lot of additional money without guidelines and without some of the uh, proven programs that will work, then we're just basically laundering some money <laughs> to, to, to companies. So I think every student deserves to be in a nice building. Um, so look and see what kind of federal programs that we can do to help build some of those things. And that may not be what people want to hear, but but that's just the bottom line. You want to be in the classroom and it, you want it to look nice. Um, we No one wants to take a vacation and go to a one-star hotel. Like you want to go, well, when you do your search, you put your stars in there and see your price point and <laughs> you make it that way. But no, uh, just making sure facilities are up to par. Uh, it's 2021, and there's some facilities that are almost 100 years old that kids are going in, but they know that if they go to another school district down the road, they might be in a newer building, and that sets in a, a, a hidden agenda to them that oh, we're not good enough to get this, and that can't be the case. Uh, the third thing would be just really career development, um, really looking at those kids. Or, or I guess I should say career development for two reasons. Um, we have a lot of kids that are not going to go to your four-year or your two-year schools, but they may come out being an entrepreneur, helping them get into the job embedded workforce um, and giving them the standards and skills that they need, as well as empowering those kids that are, are going off to college to have everything they need. There's no one cookie cutter approach. Uh, I can just remember back to my high school days. I don't remember a single conversation I had with my high school counselor. I don't, but now it's embedded. So I'm glad that the kids get that opportunity because it's almost mandatory uh, to, to talk to your counselor. But there are so many things that people could be doing. And I think that we just got to empower them to go in whatever direction they want to go. But we can't, we, that, that can't be determined by uh, a report card score. That can't be determined by uh, a benchmark assessment. Uh, and all those things are important. But what happens is you have to be real careful because there's this thing called the felon school list that a lot of schools have to deal with. But for many schools or many communities, that school is the only thing of hope. So when you label the one thing that's given hope as something that's failing, you automatically have turned off this whole community that you've never even met based upon some guidelines. So it may be failing in your opinion, but for someone else, it's the best thing and it's what's gonna save their life. So just being really careful about the labels we place on things. And I don't know if I even answered that question, but I felt that needed to be said because a lot of educators are working from sunup to sundown to provide these opportunities for kids inside their classroom and communities. They're taking home the extra homework and then they get labeled as failing from an organization that's never been through their halls. And that takes on the ownership of the school. And that's not correct, that's not, that's not right and it's not empowering. So then you have to do even more work to try to meet this standard, not realizing that the kids that are walking through your classroom, they may not ever become proficient, but they're growing. And we've got to be able to reward growth in this nation. A hundred percent. You answer the question, Quentin, you have my vote for secretary of education. <laughs> and I love, I mean, to just kind of summarize everything that you said, that last piece is 
organizations are making decisions based on something that they ne they've never experienced or talked to or shaken somebody's hand. And I, I mean, I look at that too. <clears throat> Central offices make decisions that impact the classrooms and those people don't spend any time in the classrooms or the secretary of education, you know, like get into a school on a weekly basis because the decisions that you make are impacting kids in classrooms that you have no idea what they are. And you can't, you can't know where you need to go unless you know where you are. And right. you can't know where you are unless you're talking to kids, uh, teachers, parents, bus drivers, you know, office managers, uh, just spending time, bring your laptop and go spend an entire day in a school. And it's going to change how you approach your decision making. So um, I've done something really, I guess you can say kind of unorthodox. Um, in a very fortunate situation, our central office is in the back door uh, of one of our, our junior high schools. And so this is a building that's been there for uh, a long time and there's some rooms that aren't being used. So I am turning one of those rooms into my personal classroom. Uh, I'm going to actually go help um, pull small group, uh, work on reading remediation. We have some mental health counselors that will be coming in. They'll be able to utilize that room instead of a conference room to have more of a class setting. Uh, it's got boards in there. If I need to talk to parents uh, about situations, I don't wanna just talk to them at the central office. I can bring them into that classroom. And, uh, and I will have resources. So even when I do professional development with my principals or my lead teachers about some of the initiatives that we would like to bring, I can take them to this classroom. So uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm gonna get in there and paint. I'm gonna get in there and, um, and make it a top-notch thing because it doesn't. you don't have to have a new building to be nice. And that's one thing like make things nice, make things nice for kids and make things nice because it's a representative of what you expect. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important that, you know, and I know there's going to be some days I can't get there. It's not an everyday thing, but that's my space. And, and I've always got to be constantly reminded of what, what are the teachers going to be at? Because they're the ones that are having to implement a lot of the things that are passed down. And you've got to be able to think from their perspective of how can we best make use of their time, their energy, their efforts and their expertise, because they have degrees. And just mm -hmm. sure we're giving them and utilizing those tools so that they can be extremely effective. Yeah, oh, I love that you're doing that. In my last district, a large school district, we had 50 schools, 35,000 students, and I was a director. And I remember one time I was at a school uh, with another director, and uh, we were walking the halls, and like these like eight, 10 kids come up to me, like, Mr. Welcome, Mr. Welcome. And I was like, What's up, y'all? Like, you know, giving high fives and stuff. I'm like, all right, all right, go back. And the kids leave, and this other director, she grabs my arm and she goes, how do you know those kids? I mean, 50 schools, 35,000. And I said, because I spend time here and I'm in classrooms, even as a director and a little light went off in her head. Like I need to spend more time in schools because again, you are making decisions that are impacting those kids and those teachers. And if we are not informed then we can think that our decisions and how we allocate money and the PowerPoint presentation that we created that looks beautiful, but if it's not applicable, it, it is not students first and it's not teachers first. Um, it's got to, it's got to support those kids. I want to talk about the can't touch this video. Okay. So, and just, I know at the outset, you said we did it to kind of raise awareness for, for safety. And currently on YouTube, there's almost six and a half million views. I know total on all different platforms. I think we're almost pushing 15 million. Um, I mean, what has that been like? I mean, are you start are you starting a media a YouTube class in Talladega? I mean, because you know we all know the power of video, but that is a job in 2021. So we talk about 
career ready. You don't need to go to college to have a good idea to be creative, to take a camera or a phone and make a video that, that, that does something. And no matter where you live, you can produce content. Just like what, what's been the overall kind of summarized just experience from that? Because I mean, it's just fascinating to me. It's a lot. Um, so number one, the videographer, um, his name was Jalen Mitchell and he is absolutely amazing. We are lifelong friends and partners now. Like he is, he's really somebody to know. And he actually shot music videos for a lot of my students that rap. So I said, well, let me reach out to him to see. And uh, so we had actually got him to do a couple of videos at the school. And I told him about, I want to do a comedy video. Like I like doing videos. And he said, well, we'll work together. And we work together. And he's produced two of the, of the videos that can't touch this in germ busters. And it gave him an opportunity to really delve into some creativity. Um, the fact that he is now an international filmmaker, because uh, everyone was like, this was really good, really good. And his just his heart and his eye. And I spoke with him the other day because we're about to make another video. It's on the way out. Just, just kind of get ready for it. But um, and one thing he said that he has resigned or he's no longer working his nine to five and he's just doing it full time. And I told him, you should have been doing this years ago because that's how talented you are. And he's like, well, it's people like you that help push me down. Now, get in my, he was never one of my students, but I saw, I could see that he had a vision and an eye for it. Um, the Can't Touch This video was amazing. Uh, I remember talking to some friends about different ideas. And when I mentioned it, they start laughing. And I wrote the lyrics in like 35 minutes, like just 35 minutes, just sitting down. And, and I recorded it on my, my laptop upstairs with just things that were on, on the internet. And... Um, I remember I played the song and my wife, she heard it first and she just bust out laughing. So I started sharing it with some people and it's like, oh my gosh, this is funny. Like, you, you, this is it, this is it. I got with the videographer, we created like a sketch. And then as we're filming, he is his eye went to how he wanted it to look. So I just had an outline, he put it together. And so the first time I, I got the video, the proof back, he sent it and I cried. I was extremely excited, but it was extremely funny. Like I can't watch the video without laughing still to this day because <laughs> the other thing was we wanted to merge a little bit of old school with new school and let kids know who MC Hammer was because I looked up to him growing up. So um, after we posted the video, it started gaining traction. I was like, oh, 20,000 views, 60,000 views. Like, whoa, what's going on? And I remember I got a phone call from uh, Fox and Friends about being on their show. Uh, now, I had to be up at like three o'clock in the morning to record. And it was from, you know, a Zoom. So it was a Zoom um, thing. And I got to talk to the producers. I was like, okay, that, that'll be it. Well, no, then Good Morning America contacted me, then Today's Show, <laughs> then CNN. And uh, it was just like a whirlwind of interviews. One day I did seven interviews. And I'm Dang. a little so I, I had a different outfit for every interview. Uh, NBC Nightly News, uh, they contacted me. I was on CNN twice. And I got to be on CNN one Sunday with my two babies, uh, my five and my eight-year-old. Uh, they were on my lap. And it was really cool to see them on national TV uh, with their dad. That was one thing that was really special to me. But so I'm doing all these interviews, um, Hoda, um, like, and they're calling me by name. And then I got contacted um, by a show on CBS. And it was uh, the show that Cedric the Entertainer hosts. I love Cedric the Entertainer. Like, he's always been a favorite comedian. So I, I was like, okay, we'll do the show. I, it was a Saturday. And they kept stalling. And it was like, we're working on some things. Just be ready, be ready. And so it was like a three-hour stall. <laughs> and um so we're on the show recording with Cedric Entertainer. We're talking as if we grew up together. And during the interview, in pops MC Hammer on the line. So I got, no to, way. got to actually meet and talk to MC Hammer uh, via Zoom, I guess you could say, or, or the, the platform. And uh, on the, the show, like I made this huge face. And that was exactly how I felt because I love MC Hammer. 
he is one of the probably most intelligent people I've ever encountered. He's extremely smart. Uh, and that actually will message back and forth every now and then. Um, so I get the message hammer. That's cool. But uh, just, <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> but just being able to bring that along with my with my kids has been really good. So the, the ones that were in the original video um, that when we were on the Cedric Entertainment show, uh, it was on a Friday night. We had a football game. So I set up a red carpet event where they dressed up in their formal gowns. The ladies did. Uh, I was in a, a bedazzled suit almost. Uh, my families came out. Everybody was dressed up. We had a red carpet. We had tables set up. Like it looked like a reception. Glitter, like in the, down there on the other side of the end zone. And we had a TV show and we streamed us being on TV. So they got to see us on national TV at a football game. And people wow. say, why are you doing this? Because I don't want to take away from them being at their game, mm -hmm. but I want them to experience being on national TV in style. And so I didn't, the school didn't pay for any of that. I paid for all that out of my pocket um, with the designer that came down and set up the stage. And, um, but that was just an opportunity. So the next video we did was Germ Busters. I had 10 kids in it and put more teachers and um, there was more video effects in it, but it was just awesome to just share that with them and, and be able to talk about it with my kids. And um, I've done some Australian interviews. Uh, I had a friend that was praying and said, hey, your name is being mentioned in Japan. And then that night an article came out it was a Japanese newspaper article about me. <laughs> so like, wow. it's been absolutely amazing. It's coming up on a year um, that the video has been out and um, just got notification a few days. It's been in a, a Corona Files anthology where they take the funniest videos from COVID-19 and they put them together and all the proceeds from that video go to a charity. Um, not only did they put my Can't Touch This video, they also put Germ Busters in it. So there's wow. two videos in one anthology from me uh, and from us working and that, that's been awesome. So yeah, I think it helps set the platform um, and, and it really put me on the stage, but ultimately it's just doing what I've always done. Um, the first time I went viral was a few years ago at a school. I hit the Quan. That was the principal hits the Quan. I did that at a pet rally and it got a million views within a weekend. So just being relevant and really able to connect with the students, that's just, that's the passion. And I think all school leaders need to strive to do that daily. And, and have fun. And I, I'm just, I, I, that's such a great story, Quentin. I could listen to you talk about that all day. And I want to go to this too. It's, it's communicating in a relevant way. And you said that. And I think superintendents, principals, everybody, think about how you are communicating with your, with your people. If you are only sending out a newsletter and that's the only way you're communicating, you got to add some different ways. Is a newsletter important? Sure. Yeah. But you got to have a podcast. You got to have video. You got to do so zoom webinars live and at Facebook lives and ask people questions. Cause like you said it, I say it all the time. It is 2021 and you got to meet people where they are and just sending out a newsletter, three pages front and back. And you print one for everybody in your school or your district. That's not, re that's not being relevant. And I mean, the views are fun and gosh, talking to MC hammer, I'm telling you, I listened to him on my, on my yellow walk, man, uh, as a kid, uh, is fun, but I, I, I have one question. Mm -hmm. Can you sing for us right now? And you don't have to sing. You don't have to sing. Can't touch this. But hey, Quinn, you were the band director. You said you were in choir music growing up. Like you said it saved your life. It you did. Mean, you got to give us, you got to give us something acapella right now. Something. I mean, your favorite song from Hamilton. I don't know. Something. Something, Quinn. Come on. Uh, give, it, give us something. Let's see. Favorite song. I sing this song at pet rallies and, um, and um, I, it goes over well sometimes, but it's one of my favorite songs. You ready? Let's hear it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. 
If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. I love it. Cool leaders, do that at every pet rally and everybody will instantly be happy. And um, do it, do it over the loudspeaker, man. If you, if you're an elementary principal and you don't have pep rallies like high school, do it over the loudspeaker. Cause I mean, if you could see my face, I'm smiling from ear to ear. It's simple. If you can't sing like me, or if you got good vocal pipes, like Quentin, you can sing it. I mean, it does it, it helps, but it, it doesn't matter. Quentin to, to close out this podcast, I'm going to pass the microphone over to you. What would you like to say to all the superintendents, school leaders, teachers, board members, anybody that, that just listens to this podcast, go ahead and close us out. Lead with your heart. Lead with your heart. Um, your heart will ultimately never steal you wrong. Um, if you don't feel easy about something because you don't see the benefit, examine it, but lead with your heart. When you lead with your heart, it leads you to decisions that may not seem popular to people, but it will ultimately change those that are around you. And just know that what you're doing you will never see the reward for what you're doing with kids each and every day. It just won't happen. The reward comes when they're successful. Uh, as a band director, of course, we did practices, but the reward didn't come at the end of a at the end of a competition or at the end of a Friday night football game when we did our show. The reward came years down the line when they were able to share those experiences and become successful husbands and wives. That's when the reward comes in. So just know that we are fighting this fight. We're essential. We're important. Um, we take educators, we can take what we're given and turn it around and make it the best ever. That's the power that we have. We're superheroes. The nation is literally on our back and we've got a responsibility to carry it. Are things correct and the way they need to be? No, but that doesn't mean we stop what we do because our kids need us. So um, one quote that I heard this week and, I, and I'll, I'll tell it to you guys and I hope it, it reframes your thinking like it did mine. Well, two quotes, two quotes and then I'm done. Uh, the first quote is there's, there's two things that people always do. Either one, they always hate the way that things are. And number two is they always hate change. But, but the realization is, is that you've got to have change uh, and it may be uncomfortable, but if it's going to improve, we've got to have it. And there's a quote by Maya Angelou I read that said that uh, if you don't, don't like the way that things are, change it. But if you can't change it, then change your attitude. And that really convicted me. Like there are some things that we may not be able to change, but we change our attitude and the perception that we have going into it and we'll see a, a different result and we'll be satisfied. Dr. Quentin Lee, brand new superintendent, Talladega City Schools in Alabama, YouTube viral sensation, future secretary of education for this country. <laughs> My friend, thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you do for you, educators around the world. Everybody listening, thank you for all you do. And I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.